Hello, I'm Joss Stone. Thanks for joining me for a cup of happy. I spent the last few years singing my songs in every country in the world and been lucky enough to meet incredible people from all walks of life. What really struck me is that no matter where we are, we're all on the same mission. We're all just trying to find our version of happy. So with this podcast, I'm going to be speaking to a whole host of people to dig deeper into the what, why, and how of this emotion we call happiness. I hope that with these conversations, you discover something to help you on your own quest for happiness, possibly change your mind on a few things, and along the way, share a good old laugh with me and my guests. Today's guest is a very good friend of mine. He's a songwriter and a musician who's best known for his band, The Eurythmics. He's had an incredibly rich life with a breadth of experience, and he's such a deep thinker, someone I know we can all learn from. I certainly have over the years. We find out about a day in his creative life, the importance of routine, and why we should embrace failure, not fear it. I'm so pleased to share this chat with Dave Stewart. He's a wonderful man. All right. I sound echoey. Maybe I could move in a bit. You sound a bit roomy. I do, but that's okay. I'll just move in. Well, I'm going to move in because I want to sound like Joanna Lumley. But that will be a bit painful like that. Right? <laughs> no, I, won't, I won't sit there the whole time. Okay, um, I'm going to ask you a million questions about very important things. Happiness. Happiness. Yeah. Hi, Dave. How are you? Very well, thank you. Oh, good. Oh, good. So I'm going to start with the most important question of all. Um, and, you know, we've known each other for a very long time now. Yes. So um, it was fifth, difficult for 16. me. To, how many years? Uh, 17 years. Is it 17 years? Yeah. You were 16 oh when, when you recorded. Yeah. I think, Alfie. Yeah, Alfie, you were 16. So it's a long time. 17 years. So I'm so, giving away your age. How, how could you? I'm sorry about that, right? It's hard to, to think of questions to ask you because... We talk so much and I actually know quite a lot of the answers. Um, <laughs> well, so... you, why don't you answer them and I'll say yes or no. <laughs> yeah, I, we can play truth or, or a lie. Well, yeah, truth um, or dare. But Cody came up with a very good question. It's quite deep. Yeah. Um, what is your favourite colour? Uh, well, Cody, I'm only answering <laughs> Cody this question because anybody else listening, I'm we gonna, know the I'm answer. I'm going to lie to. Oh. Um, my favourite colour, I think, has always been yellow, although I never wear it. Oh, I thought it was going to be black. No. I thought you were one of those guys. No, you see, I've been faking to everybody for years that I'm dead serious and yeah. wearing black. And But as you know, I'm not. I'm sort of... Um, I see everything in quite sort of comedic yeah. terms. And sort of yellow seems to express that, you know. Yellow's yeah, so great. It shows um, about happiness and and so yellow to me expresses that and probably because i'll probably link it to sunshine sunflowers they're the happiest flower well it's funny you should say that because i used to grow huge sunflowers on my land in england and one of the sweetest pictures i have is uh my daughter kaya who's about three yeah and i took her down to the sunflower patch and she hadn't seen them growing so tall for a while yeah and then 
I was saying, now you can look. And she looked up and there were like huge sunflowers everywhere. Oh. I've got the photo, yeah. <gasps> That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I remember driving past a sunflower field in Spain. I was like, <gasps> absolutely like in awe of it. I just wanted to live in there. And then I realised it would be a bit boring after a while. So well, Damien, I moved on. Damien Hurst told me a funny thing because he was always, you know, he colours have always blown his mind. Mm. You know, being a, a painter and an artist and... He always wondered why on the motorway, instead of just giving you signs that said, you know, watch out, this is around the corner, mm. it didn't say, you know, field of sunflowers coming up, you know, so you didn't crash your car. You yeah, know I mean? right, exactly, because it's shocking to yeah. see that. Well, you know, there's a famous book called The Purple Cow. Okay. And uh, <laughs> The Purple Cow is about how people very quickly forget how remarkable things are so they have to be reminded so for instance if you were with your family in the city and after about three months mm-hmm. the dad or the mum says hey, let's get out of the city let's go to the countryside for a drive and the kids are yeah and they get in the back of the car and they're driving out and as soon as they get through the various areas to get to the first time they see a field and then they see some cows and the kids shout Cows, cows, yeah. cows in the field. But after about the ninth field, yeah. they don't shout cows anymore because they've seen cows in all the other fields. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important to be the purple cow. Yeah. In other words, you know, like, what can you do that is... Spark rem- sparks, something. you know. Mm. And in every way in life, you know, that brings joy into other people's lives, but also keeps you interested Mm. in whatever you're doing, whether it's creatively or in your workplace or whatever, I think... Be uh, unique, be different. You're definitely very good at that. Well, the thing is, uh, to actually be in the present moment, see, because you you need little sort of sparks and tricks which you can learn until you actually uh, are in what's called the zone or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Uh, to get yourself back in the zone, because it's very easy with everything bombarding you all the time. You What's know? your tricks to get yourself back into a good feeling once you've maybe fallen out of it for a bit? I don't uh, suppose it would be long, the five minutes that you fall out of it for. <laughs> but it's not really a, exactly a good feeling. Uh, what it is is uh, knowledge uh, that you're aware that you're in the moment and everything around you is sort of standing still in other words that's where ideas come from the space between your thoughts so everybody's mind is chattering away all the time to itself you know so doesn't matter if you're driving along you'll find yourself thinking about oh I wonder if I left the tap running yeah. or like oh I should ring my auntie Elsie or something like yeah, this yeah. a million things go through your mind but then if somebody had asked you in the pub God, what's that song again by the Beatles? Oh, God, yeah, you can't think of it. You can't think of it. But Mm. then what happens is the white lines on the road hypnotise you for a second and you just shout out, help. Yeah. Of course, you don't want to alarm everybody. (laughs) You're talking about that. You're talking about the Beatles song, help. But um, And that's because (sighs) you got between the space, between your thoughts, and that's where all the answers are. You already know all the answers. It's just covered up with all of this chit-chat that's going on. Our busy minds. Yeah, your busy mind. Mm. So obviously people go into meditation to try and slow their mind down. 
and get to that space, um, you know, because that's where not only <clears throat> all answers and memories and everything comes from, you know, it's also where new ideas come from and creativity comes from. And without getting into that zone, you can spend years or months trying to do something that you could probably do in 15 minutes, you know. Mm. And uh, so I think a trick... The meditation is good. Meditation is good, and that's one way to do it. And The thing often, is, when I meditate, and it's not often, I try, I just can't stop thinking about stuff. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just not very good at it. Well, no, you just have to keep doing it. You have to kind of smack yourself every time you have a thought. Well, not really. I think you have to just let all the business come and go. Don't try and stop it because then it becomes like a, a battle between Then it's a you. fight. Yeah. yeah, you have a fight going no, on like in, in your mind. Go and like come in one ear and out the other or mm. come in one mind and out the other or whatever. But that's a practice that after a while you realise, oh, well, that hasn't happened for three minutes. Now. Oh, no, seven minutes. Well, mm. yeah. But, I mean, that isn't the only way that you can get to that peace of mind. Mm. Isn't only meditation. I think a lot of people think, oh, oh no, now we're talking about, you know, Eastern uh, meditation and ways of being. And I can't because I'm busy and I have to get the kids to school yeah. and I have to go to work. And then I haven't got money to pay enough for whatever the food and the rent and so on I had to get a second job and exhausted by the time you get home and do you want to meditate exactly you just want to go to sleep yeah or have a glass of wine yeah (laughs) glass of wine that's not bad so you're halfway through Mm. a glass of vodka or gin you'll find yourself slipping into that state Mm. that I've talked about the zone because it's been triggered by the alcohol or if you took a drug by the drug that's fine but you don't want to rely on that but um, there's many an artist and poet and painter who have, you know, whether it's absinthe or smoking weed or whatever it is, they can get into that state quicker because they want to get there to get on with their work. Yeah. Um, now, in my life, earlier on, I went bonkers on every kind of thing you could imagine. Right. But it wasn't really to try and get into a creative space. It was to sort of um, cover up the feelings I was feeling that you weren't enjoying that about stuff that I didn't know even what it was till years later mm. when you look back and go oh yeah my mum left my dad you used when it I as was... like a numbing technique yeah like you know mm. my mum left my dad when I was about 13 so she went away and my dad got depressed mm. see you don't think about that when you're 13 14 15 by the time I was like 20 or 21 I still wasn't thinking about it but I was doing all sorts of things to just sort of get out of it in inverted commas Mm. so when I actually stopped all that night contrary to popular belief Mm. this was like beginning of eurythmics I never took anything I was completely focused and uh, I managed to get that thing I was talking about the space between your thoughts like in the zone actually without anything and it was some sort of epiphany I had and this might sound crazy but um, I was in this shop and it was like a tiny little guitar shop in Camden Town. And um, I couldn't afford any of the guitars. I was just looking around. I wasn't playing Stairway to Heaven, which no oh, good. you oh, get good. kicked out for, you know. But, <laughs> Even um, back then you get kicked yeah. out for it. So I was just looking at And the guy was like, oh, we just got this weird thing in, this uh, keyboard. And I thought, let's have a look at that. So 
I bought a little keyboard called a Wasp and it was portable and it was just touch sensitive and it was the first kind of, I don't know, portable mini weird synthesizer. And I took it home and I thought, I'm not going to play the guitar because I know how to play lots of things on it and it's going to influence what I'm going to write. Right. So I thought, I'm going to make up stuff on this synthesizer. And then I started to think, well, I wonder how I make this recording have a bass synthesizer and all these different things. Anyway, I got lost in the idea of how would I make something out of this little four-track tape recorder and these keyboards. And um, it was getting more and more exciting when I realised it could be possible to actually record something on my own. So this became... Now other people might say, well, this is just another form of addiction. Now you're addicted to synthesizers and... It's a freedom. ..and guitars. But it wasn't. It was... I'd found something which was allowed me to make, express myself and how I was feeling without sort of any interruption or anything else. And so the early Eurythmics tracks, they're quite dark-sounding, you know, mm. like I've Got an Angel and the, the tracks were, like, very bass heavy and kind of moody mm -hmm. and melancholy. Now, Annie, who was up in Aberdeen staying with her parents at the time, she, I was playing them down the phone and to her, it's not a good way to play people's music. <laughs> no. But anyway, she got what I was on about. And, um, I'm sure she and then it. the two of us became completely obsessed at the same time, which is quite unusual. Um, obsessed with the keyboard? Obsessed with the idea of making something that could express what we want. How you were feeling. How we were feeling. Right. Without having to have engineers and other musicians and everybody else That's what else I mean by the it. freedom. It's, it's such the a lovely freedom, thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You don't have to call someone up to <clears throat> yeah. ask permission to feel. Yeah, it's like, you know, one time I was trying to learn uh, sword fighting, which is very difficult on your own. Sword fighting? Yeah, on your own is difficult. Okay. <laughs> As you can imagine. I can, yeah, okay. You know, lots of daffodils, heads chopped off and things like that <laughs> in the flat. Oh, I've just bought them. Anyway, so... <laughs> but uh, what I'm talking about, really, because I know your programme is about happiness, is, you see, oh I don't think there's any such state as, like, happiness is a general state of being. I think we all live in emotions that range from joy and ecstasy, agony, pain, yeah. happiness, they're all floating around and you can wander in and out of them. Mm. But I think there is a way to um, make a sort, of, a sort of sphere around yourself that understands things that will bring you pain and so forth, you know, like stop mm. crashing the same car. Yeah. Um, and land more and more in the happy space. And the happy space is anything that gets you out of the same track marks. If you imagine a skier going down a hill, and if you go to the top and you keep going in the same track marks, after a while you can't get out of them. Mm. So you go to a fresh piece of snow, right? So the idea of what can you do in your life that makes you feel oh, great, I can't think about anything else because if I did, I'd fall off this cliff or mm. I'd fall over or I'd, like, you know... Feel uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, or I'd drown because I'm swimming, you know. Mm -hmm. All these joyful things, like 
swimming in a freezing cold sea or, um, you know, riding a bicycle uh, or simple things can lead to you feeling very happy. Just noticing, oh, yeah, it's really nice riding down this little road because the trees look really nice. Little things really... Yeah, just going for a walk instead of, like, sitting, pondering about um, the situation that you're in. When you go for a walk, it's the same thing. You're not thinking about it and all of a sudden a solution pops in your head. Mm. So... You give I'm, yourself a chance. Yeah, because I'm constantly, you know, when I enjoy making music, I apply this often to, uh, you know, making music by uh, not worrying about it. So people might think you sit at a piano by a window with a sheet on it and you're going to, I'm going to write a song today about the world. Yeah. And it's like, no, I just never think about it. I just pick Have up a, a guitar. Laugh. Yeah, I pick up a guitar. <laughs> And start noodling about, and go, oh, that was pretty good fun. I don't think, oh, I'm going to do, you know, a great song. And then what my joy is, collaborating with somebody who's as excitable as I am, like yourself. Yeah. So we... It's more like play, isn't it? It's just totally We don't really work, we do playing. When people ask me about how we write together, Mm. I always say, well, imagine it's like two kind of nine-year-olds getting together, Mm. we jump into the sandpit and then we just play. Exactly. That's that's fun for me, like that is joy. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not to lose that childhood Mm. um, experience. Now, see, when we're children, we all do that thing of getting lost in some fantasical thing yeah. in the corner of the room with a piece of cardboard, right? Exactly. Now, nobody can say that that's not real to a three-year-old. No, it's totally you know, real. say, I've built a cardboard house. No, you haven't. But, you know, <laughs> but, but, um, but they have, and they're loving it. Yeah. And the thing is, it. we're just bigger now. Mm-hmm. We're not, not children. We're still mm-hmm. children. We're just... Just bigger and older. Well, keeping hold of that... Ch- like Picasso always said, you know, it's, like, really difficult. I've been spent, mm. like, 70 years trying to learn how I painted as a child, you know. My sort of form of... Um, well, I like to go through a day, right? So, like everybody else, you know... In you very, like a little routine, don't you? Yeah, like, in the world, people have different routines in different yeah. countries and in different societies. Mm-hmm. And so... If you're an artist, you kind of have to enforce a little bit of a routine because mm. your job doesn't insist that you get there at nine o'clock and do this and do that. So my routine, I've got it kind of down, mm-hmm. which is um, <clears throat> I really enjoy uh, in the morning having just uh, coconut water, green tea and mm. some fresh fruit. And so then, healthy. Yeah, but then... I have to get out of bed. By the way, that was all in bed. <laughs> <laughs> then I get out of bed. That's the joy of Anushka, your wonderful <laughs> wife, who we should well, talk yeah. about. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> she floats in like an angel with your coconut water. Well, uh, you know, it's a, <laughs> she literally is an angel. Uh, well, no, eighty percent of the time, twenty percent of the time, I sort of struggle in with a giant tray. Right, right. But um, yeah, then we both like doing this, and then. I like to have some form of exercise, mm-hmm. running around or swimming or uh, kicking a ball about or um, whatever there is available wherever I am. Mm-hmm. And then I'll have a bit of a proper breakfast to set me up for the rest of the day. And then I march off to work, 
well, it's not really work, but I march off to another room or Project. another place or mm. another wherever I'm going to do it. And um, I have funny things in that room. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it could be anything from a thing that says... Uh, <laughs> this magical little here's thing. Here's a couple here. This one says fuzz phase. You yeah, know? What, what is that? Well, if I press it, it's like a Jimi Hendrix kind of wailing fuzzy sound. For your guitar? Yeah, or it could be I'll pick up this and go like... <laughs> no. And I, it wasn't a car horn, it was a thing called a melodica, nice. which I've had since 40 years. And I have little things lying around that I like, that are little sort of musical toys, and I'll play around with them a bit. But at the back of my mind, I know I've got certain things I'm working on. Mm. That's the thing to talk about. See, I have about eight things I'm doing at the same time. And I always have had this. If you it, don't have a bunch of stuff, do you get uncomfortable? I've never known you to not have more than more than five things for sure at one time. Yeah. Well, the thing is, because I learned a while ago that if you get too obsessed about the one thing that you're trying to do, ah, it you kind of lose the focus of what it is you're actually doing and you have no perspective on it. <sighs> so what I like to do is I like to sort of do something really intensely, as you know, for like yeah. three or four hours with yeah. One person writing songs, whatever it is. I might do that for two weeks with the same person. But then I'll do an hour in the morning or after that on this other project I'm doing, mm. which is totally different, like nothing to do with anything, even to do with music, possibly, you know. It, mm. Well, it's all to do with music, but this might be building an app that helps artists receive money easier, or it might be... yeah. A or TV. creating an erotica show. Or a erotica show or a TV <laughs> series or uh, whatever it is. The sky's the limit. You don't have any... There's no boundaries. There's no... Well... Infinite possibilities. Yeah, it's infinite. Yeah. So uh, because once you are not afraid of failing, uh, there is infinite possibilities. I think the, the thing that really stops people from doing stuff is a fear of failing. And you have to fail. You have to fail over and over to even understand how it is that you don't fail. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. some of those mistakes are so golden, they turn into the biggest, the right. greatest mistake you ever did. Like uh, Sweet Dreams, which became the biggest song... In the world. ..for Annie and I, <laughs> yeah. you know, even though we wrote lots of others. Sweet Dreams had some kind of effect globally and still does. On everyone, yeah. But the thing is, that started off as I was so annoyed at this drum machine that this guy had made and me and a friend Adam had slept on his floor all night waiting for him to finish it down in Bridgewater. Oh, right. <laughs> and uh, it was like a computer. It had wooden sides. And the first time you could actually see on a tiny black and white screen, like a heart blip in a monitor, what you were doing. And so I got it back to the studio and I was playing with it and I put something in it and it came out. It, it made Annie jump off the floor with a shock because it was so loud. Oh, right. And it did this huge tom-tom that I tuned down on the first beat along with the bass drum. So it went boom, doom, doom, yeah. doom, 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 boom, doom, which was like kind of weirdly back to front. But after a while, I was like, God, that's like... Really, it's really cool. good, yeah. yeah. So I didn't want to tell anybody it was a mistake for ages. I was going, yes, of course, I... Uh, <laughs> I dreamt uh, it. I spent months <laughs> making that. Anyway, 
So, yeah, I mean, allowing... Got to let it happen. Yeah, allowing mistakes to happen to be Mm. just... And also, I think the same goes in relationships and with people and friends. You have to just be yourself and let them see that you are crazy, you know? Mm, There's broken parts to everyone as well. You know, I think a lot about how much we need the, the darkness in order to see the light. Yeah. And knowing about your upbringing as a little one Mm -hmm. there's so many crazy stories you've told me Dave about really like shocking kind of what the hell Mm -hmm. how did this young man Mm -hmm. decide to just make his life bright and beautiful and magical when you didn't really come from a bright and beautiful magical situation yeah but uh, you'll find that a lot of people who uh, you talk to who uh, got themselves to this place whatever it is mm-hmm. it could be a soccer player or it could who managed to get on a team or a place of happiness a place of happiness yeah. has come out of a sort of a strange beginning right that it's very rare that you say yeah oh, well I was born in this very magical land ma- lovely. <laughs> yeah. and in fact a lot of those stories go backwards the other way around yeah and they, they can. end up you know getting lost or trying to refine themselves because they're uh, mm. you know in a world that isn't real I've noticed that you have a tendency to change people's lives. Um, Nalida? Nida, yeah. Nida. She's amazing. She's mm. um, worked with you for a really long time and now well, 37 has years. She's retired now, but now. Yeah. And you've done the same thing for musicians. Mm -hmm. I've I've noticed that you take a lot of joy in finding somebody that has something special and it's quite obvious that no one's going to notice it Mm -hmm. because maybe they're not in the right place in the world, like Mm -hmm. physically. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't have the right help. Mm -hmm. And you do that. I love doing that, Do you get joy from that? I do, yeah. Well, I always have done from the minute that I had any kind of means in which to do it. Yeah. So halfway through the 80s, I formed a little um, recording company and I had studios and I you know, had a church in Crouch End converted into a studio. Yeah. And I had this record company called Anxious Record. It was like independent. And I called it Anxious because I wasn't quite sure if it was going to work out. Oh. <laughs> but the first single we released went to number one in America. So I changed. I had another company called Quietly Confident Records. Oh, brilliant. And, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, yeah, now I've got, like, Bay Street records. Bay Street is the street, basically, down the street from where we are. Oh, and you've got Beverly on that, haven't you? One of my favourite UK singers. Well, um, Beverly and I are busy making a special record that it goes with a special TV series, but we can't say the name of it or anything about it yet it's but it's secretive. very 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 exciting yeah i also signed a boy called otto who lives in a disused sort of welsh post office who's a great <laughs> kid he's also about 22 or 23 yeah singer songwriter uh, a couple of other and Lindsay people thomas Lindsay. Uh, yeah thomas Lindsay is from louisiana we made an album called stuart Lindsay. That's on Bay Street Records. Your duo. Oh, that's so cool. Honestly, that man's voice is something else. I haven't heard anything like that for a really long time. No, I mean, you know, it's interesting. he's so unique. Yeah, he, uh, you know, we've made two albums and not not one of them did we be in the same place. He's always in his uh, little place in Louisiana in the middle of uh, nowhere, actually. Well, 
it's a very small town. Mm. Yeah, he was really obsessed. You know, for his age, he had a bit like you. You heard Aretha or whatever. Mm. He heard Nina Simone and it like blew his mind. Mm. And then he started to listen to all this kind of gospel music and everything. And, and then he got into pop music and he sort of found Eurythmics. And, you know, with the advent of the internet, of mm. course, people his age started to discover all sorts of things. Yeah. And so there was no difference to him to listening to, you know, something from 1962 to 1984. So he had a whole library of stuff that when he talked to me about it, but I noticed one thing about them all, they were all very, well, all great, unique voices. And then they also had depth in, in the songs and the storytelling. So we started recording our first album, which is called Spitballing, which is basically... Mm-hmm. Like jamming, I mean, chatting, chatting, yeah. having laughs, chatting in the pub. Yeah, and uh, and that album got a lot of attention in America. We ended up. It's something unique, honestly. We started, you know, doing a tiny bit of promotion, but he didn't ever want to leave Louisiana. The first time he came to see me, he's quite me, shy, isn't he? Yeah, it's the first time he'd been on a plane or, or outside of Louisiana. So he was. We played a live show with four songs and. He waited up till five in the morning and got the plane straight back. Oh! Uh, but anyway. Well, I don't blame him. Yeah, Sometimes I, you just want to be home. thing is, just because you want to make music doesn't mean you want to be out there in all the madness of it all. Yeah. But it was the city that freaked him out a bit, you know. Um, I don't blame so him. So he went with me to Los Angeles and New York. Mm. And, uh, and in New York, you know, with Sirius Radio and a Jimmy Fallon show and all this stuff. Mm. And he was kind of, like, amazing, kept his cool about it all. But afterwards, he was... New York, five in the morning, straight like, away. Bye. Back. <laughs> yeah. I'm out. Thanks so much. Am I finished? Okay, good. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good for him. You know, the the happiness that we try to give mm. as artists, I suppose. Or I don't know. I mean, sometimes we're trying to give happiness, sometimes we're trying to just evoke an, a specific emotion that mm-hmm. can help people feel comforted. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I mean it ends up with some sort of happiness. But we're trying to kind of give that. But I always I do think about the artists themselves a lot because I have a lot of friends that, obviously, as you do, in the music industry, and they are artists, Mm. and people get mass amounts of joy from these people. Mm. But oftentimes, you notice that they aren't actually getting that much joy out of it, and Mm. they are somewhat tortured tortured souls. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that? Well, the thing is that it depends the pain or whatever you're trying to express. Now, just because you've expressed it doesn't mean to say it immediately goes away. Mm. There is some relief in expressing it, but as you know yourself, playing shows, which a lot of artists feel the most comfortable on the stage singing to a lot of people. Yeah. But there's like 23 hours of like loneliness before that hour. Yeah. Or there might be weeks or months. Now it looks like years Mm -hmm. before you can actually do it. So... They're living with all this stuff. And you're continuing to sing about things that you should have maybe left behind as well. Mm, well, yeah, it's, um, that, but that is therapeutic. It's bringing it up. Oof. Once you've actually brought something or painted it or written it down in a book or looked at it, mm. there is a therapeutic side to that because you've gone, oh, it's out. There it's it out is. there now, yeah. Uh, and then, but... <laughs> music's the only one where you keep repeating it. You just keep going back. You, know, you don't keep writing the same novel or yeah. painting the same picture, well, some people do. Yeah. But music 
you, you know, go around and you might sing the same song, like Here Comes the Rain Again. Must have performed it like, you know, 5,000 so times. times or whatever. Yeah. But every time there's something slightly different happens. You think, you're different every time. You're different every time. That's mm. a good point. So it can be uh, singing it from a very personal position and then a very reflective. Mm. You know, it's, it's a very weird thing. It is I weird. Mean, Music and words put together is a very powerful thing. Music on its own, orchestral music, classical yeah. composers can bring you to tears. Yeah. And sometimes, <laughs> quite often, they're not tears of joy, they're tears of sorrow because they've managed to capture the zeitgeist or the, the sort of frozen moment of a period of that country yeah. that they were living in that was oppressed or having a terrible time and put it into... This, a feeling, a sound. This whole 60-piece orchestration. Yeah. It's uh, amazing, isn't it, to, to yeah. feel that from that massive group of people. And then sometimes you're going to have somebody like Leonard Cohen mm. just sort of play the guitar very lightly with nylon strings and yeah. sing in his soft, sweet way, and he can bring you to tears too. Mm. Yeah. So It's honesty, isn't it? Yeah. I think dancing can as well, the right sort of performance of dancing, theatre. Yeah. All of those worlds, and I'm working across a lot of those genres at the moment, uh, are all closed down in certain ways. Like I'm busy in the middle of sort of piece of musical theatre, mm. which obviously um, is very tricky because... The person I'm working with has been made head of the Welsh National Theatre. And his first day at work, he was handed a note. He was doing a speech and he had to say, oh, uh, everything has to be closed down now because of the COVID. So every little theatre in Wales and everybody who worked from the lights to the costumes to the actors to mm. the performers. So that's the same all over the world. It's so crazy, First time in the history of the world, really. Yeah. So there's that, and then there's all the you know, other performance spaces for everything else. Um, yesterday, it came out in the news that there's a vaccine made by the Russians. Well, yeah. Well, That it, could change everything. Yeah, if it uh, works, we could all go back to work. <laughs> well, the thing is... Open up the venues. You never know, because as soon as something comes out, it's always slammed by various people as being mm. completely untrue and untested. And I know, and then people go, you know, there are people that don't want vaccinations um, mm -hmm. in general, forget about coronavirus, yeah. but they just don't want them in their lives at all because they think mm. they're poison. Yeah. But, I mean, they are a little bit poison, aren't they? Well, that's the whole point of you know, them. They it. give you the thing that makes you then right. immunity. To but the thing is that, you know, but I'm not sure about it because COVID really is a very deadly version of the cold. Mm. Well, they haven't had a vaccine for the cold yet, but then again, yeah, they make point. so much money from the That's common true. cold, yes. like billions and squillions. Yes. That if anybody came up with a virus for the cold, they'd probably they'd kill them. Probably murder them. So, <laughs> yes, you know, true. have you ever seen that film? You oh, know, how dark. It, the film with <laughs> Russell Crowe about the tobacco industry. No. And it's a movie, and he's trying to sort of fix. He's trying to fags. show that, you know, the tobacco smoke is actually Killing causing you. all these. Mm. And, of course, he gets hounded and hunted and everything. It's all based on a true story. Oh, my God, and, uh, that's so, terrifying. Yeah, we live in a very sort of mixed-up world of corruption but mixed with really fabulous people. Amazing stuff, uh, yeah. And we have done 
like all our lives, you know. Mm -hmm. But I still think, you know, art, poets, musicians, whatever, the last bastions of democracy. So, like, if you look back through the ages, you don't, what do you see that's left? Well, it's usually sculptures, yeah. things carved in stone yeah. by great philosophers or poets, and paintings that are still there. Yeah, look you, at the hieroglyphics, the Egyptians. You don't really see Egyptians. all the speeches and the... No, yeah, you just see stuff. these... Just art. Art, yeah. Yeah. So um, oh, it wow. seems mad to think uh, that all of that stuff would be stopped or erased. You know, when the Communist Party in Russia tried to get everybody, the only art you can make has to look like this and the only music you can make has to be singing, you know, mm. communist themes and all that kind of stuff... Um, it's still people were sneaking about and doing yeah. other bits on the side, you know. So it's like um, in Iran today, they're still they're secretly underground mm. having these little gigs. Little shows, yeah. But you know, if they were to be found out, my mm. God, they'd maybe be put in prison for the rest of their lives, but they do it. Yeah. Because they need it. Yeah. There's uh, I, I think I was uh, helping people fund some uh, concrete bunkers. Uh, for people to sort of play loud but soundproofed in uh, oh, wow. places around the world, like Iraq, where people mm -hmm. try to get, uh, and Syria, where people have got so much PTSD and yeah. sort of that music. It helps. Uh, helps. Even if it's just for the half an hour that you're doing it. Yeah, or, it does or the half an hour you're listening to it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, now, Joss, yes. let me ask you a question. Oh. Why are you asking everybody about happiness? <laughs> okay. Okay, so because of the, you know, the tour that I did? Yeah. So you go around, you're going to every single country and you meet you must people. Expl explain. Okay, Most so... people, the when they say they do a world tour, they don't. Right. They play, you know, probably one thirtieth of the world. Yes. Just actually played every country in the world, bar one, be only because she was... Deported. Got shot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a bummer. I've got to go back. That's actually Iran. Mm. Um, yeah, so I have... I'm a very literal person, as you know. Little? Literal. <laughs> oh, literal, I was going to say. I'm literal. I'm, I wish I was little. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, so world tour means to me the world. And, mm. you know, I wish I could play every section of it well of the world but i i mean i don't know how i'd even figure that out mm. but um so we just did the countries every country yeah went, i didn't want to leave anywhere took five out. years or six years yeah six mm. yeah it was it was a bit mad mm -hmm. really interesting time so anyway you were but saying i noticed yeah i noticed how people are so happy in such adverse situations yeah in difficult difficult places mm -hmm. you know and then i noticed how people moaned so much in very blessed places yeah because i'd go home you know in between i didn't yeah. go on this tour and not come home i actually went for a bit come yeah. back for a bit so it was good really um and i had to listen to people talking shit about you know the things that are going on in very very blessed parts of the world yeah so then i started to ask like the same question in each place i went through like a phase of getting into a cab yeah in say I don't know, Borneo mm. or um, wherever, um, Nicaragua. And mm. I'd ask the cabbie, what do you reckon on, the, on, the, uh, on politics here, on the president or the prime minister? Or... Mm. 
And every single time, regardless of where I was, I could have been in Switzerland, I could mm-hmm. have been in uh, Lebanon. It doesn't matter where I was in America. Mm-hmm. Um, every time it was, I fucking hate him, he's bastard. Yeah. Our government shit. You know, I've noticed that there are these similarities between humans. Yeah. And um, in a difficult scenario where people weren't really even aware of their government, mm. you know, maybe in the middle of Lira in Uganda. Yeah. Everyone's so happy. Mm-hmm. Like they, they really have not very much, mm. but they smile so much more. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to them, they have a very half full attitude. Mm-hmm. And then I started to think, well, the opportunity for happiness is actually available to all of us, regardless of, of where you're from. And some may think it's more available to Joe Bloggs over here than it is to Mary Jane over here. Mm-hmm. But it's really your choice, mm. I think. But do you think that... Uh, since the dawn of advertising, mm. people in the Western world and various places have been sold a lifestyle that they must attain, you know, mm. try to get. Yeah. That it's actually made them really unhappy trying to do it. Right. And then they lost the plot a bit because um, yeah. they're trying to fulfill somebody's fantasy of what life should be like. Yes. And the same thing happened in relationships that. They tried to fulfill the idea of what a relationship should be because they've read about it yes. in a magazine. Or they've, or they've watched it on the Disney show and, you know, exactly. the kind of fairy so tale complex. So now it's become, like, did you know, I was like once had a conversation with Gorbachev mm. and it, this is years ago, like, right, really round about Glasnost. But he was saying, what brought Russia down, really, and sort of, like, Everybody just went, what's going on? And mm. s- slowly became uh, open mm. was they weren't allowed to see any shows from anywhere. And they had in the churches, they had giants or sort of blockers of signals oh. and everything. So they'd only get fed the information from the government, you know, and people would go and try and crack open these blockers. And my friend, actually, Boris Grabenshikov, he actually, him and his mate lay on the back and they heard, I think it was Radio Caroline or something, oh, for yeah. 15 minutes and they heard the Beatles and another band and they were just lying on the back in a church. Great image, oh, just wow. crying. Crying? Because they never heard anything like it. Oh! Right, so but what <laughs> Gorbachev was saying, it was Dallas, the TV show. Right. It suddenly came, somebody managed to get a VHS or something to work and broadcast it to part of Russia. Wow. And, and they've never seen anything like that. And they thought, oh, hang on, that's how people live in America? Obviously they don't. Of course they don't. Because America's got massive poverty as well as yeah. wealth. But mm-hmm. Dallas was all like these huge, mm. you know, and uh, he said that had more effect, yeah. that half hour or whatever it was, than anything else. So if it's you a take show, that as it? an example mm. and now think of the bombardment of stuff to... <sighs> Teenagers to everybody from Instagram to it's everywhere, uh, Facebook to everywhere to every uh, media company, every commercial that's made. Yeah, you know, there's a book written in the 50s, I think, called Blinks in a Supermarket. It was their first study of trying to work out where to place things in a supermarket that made because if you blink rapidly when you look at something, mm. it means you're quite excited about it. So they would put cameras, little cameras, mm. and film, and they would put together, like, say, I don't know, some 
candy and something else and something else and then see what people, how many times they blinked and they would make a note of it uh -huh. and then they would move them somewhere else and then they would start working out where to place things and in the end, as you know, now all supermarkets at the checkout have all these things laid out. Yeah. And it's usually like some trashy magazine. And some sweeties. And some sweeties and <laughs> yeah. something else. And so, and that bit at the checkout got bigger and bigger, right? Yeah. So in the end, it was like all those things. So... Um, they figured us out and they're manipulating us. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the Truman Show. It is. It really, truly is. It is, yeah. And I think that, you know, the clicks, all of the, these likes and such and such... It's well, it's like, releasing dopamine to the brain just yeah. as much as a cigarette. Or and it's it. usually on something that's very sensationalist. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's positive. It can usually be something very negative and scary. Well, what's scary is So it we're can sharing be the that, wrong feeling. Mm, well, it can be that somebody likes something that you did. Now, you don't know who that person is and where they are. Yeah. But it's like, oh, that's affirmed you know, this thing that I... My belief in that thing, yeah. My belief, so I must have... I must be right. Somewhere <laughs> out there, somebody agrees with me. Yeah. Now, that's kind of, in a way, if you think about it, the height of loneliness is you don't matter who it is or where they are, mm. that somebody is actually feeling like you. Now, I think music is that on steroids, mm. you know, so why, throughout the ages, music has brought people together is because without saying anything or clicking on anything or doing anything, mm. you hear a busker in the street, you see a crowd of people around them. Mm. And it draws people in. Now that's, we could go on, that's a whole other show. Why? Because it's, it's got a lot of things to do with uh, quantum physics and all sorts of stuff, mm. but like, you know, notes and... Entanglement. Yeah, well... You see, well, let's pick up an instrument a second. Okay. ACAST recommends LGBTQ plus creators who are making an impact this month and beyond. Tune in for your new favorite show. Hello, I'm Danny Pellegrino, and I host the Everything Iconic podcast. If you're into reality TV and pop culture, subscribe to Everything Iconic, where I break down all of your favorite Bravo shows like The Real Housewives and Vanderpump Rules, I interview celebrity guests and take a bunch of detours along the way. Everyone from Cameron Diaz, Rosie O'Donnell, Daniel Levy, Andy Cohen, Katie Couric, and even Queen icon legend Miss Piggy have stopped by, so you'll never want to miss an episode. You can find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino and subscribe to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, the show with over 23 million downloads on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com Just a simple way to explain it is... Uh... Now, this is that's quite a happy chord, right? Yeah. But then, this is not so happy. <laughs> so... So and yeah. this, this is a kind of kind of sad story with that suspenseful one. chord, like in between, like what's going to happen next? Oh my God, I have no idea where you're going. Yeah, then. <laughs> oh my God, where <laughs> so, are you going with this day? Well, it's just <laughs> I'm saying just by introducing. No, it's good. Notes. Good in, point. Into, point well made. 
<laughs> you know, one, the chord of um, B, which, uh, well, actually, I'm playing a C because I've got a cap on, but. Right. Now, there's a, lots of variations, and each one makes somebody feel different. Yes. That's A major, then A minor, mm -hmm. A sus. But then, when you start making the answer, the opening of Here Comes the Rain, even though it's a different key, has got a very strange note in it. Oh. So already it's like, hmm. It gets your questions An up. atmosphere, like. Yeah. Yeah. And back to. So that tumbling of uh, with a B natural, because I've got a cap on, it's actually weird, but it should be here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so music is a very powerful thing. Now we know that the lowest rumblings or beyond you can actually hear sounds of music can bring buildings down. Right. Just the vibration. Just that's the use it. Mm -hmm. They used it in war and they use it sometimes just to bring a building down. It's like a... And the very highest pitch ones we can't hear, but dogs go mental, right, yeah. running around. And there are, there are sounds that can help you to fall in love. Steady. <laughs> like this one. Yeah, fall in love with the girl standing next to you at the show. Yeah. <laughs> So um, it happens. It really does. Know, it, does yeah. it can be used for all sorts. Well, used, yeah. See, this is the thing. It's communication. When you understand the power of altering a note or a beat or now amazing composers, you know, Mozart and Mahler, Beethoven, they are working with, you know, 50, 60 players and altering just a tiny part of one section mm. and the whole thing is like, oh, oh my God, like this is the end of the world. Mm. So what I was thinking, and this is like a weird thing, I was thinking about like the vibrations, right? Yeah. Like when you have a scan, uh, ultrasound, right. you see the baby. Yeah. Right? Now, why isn't somebody thinking about um, an antidote vaccine that's using the vi finding out the vibration to kill the virus of an actual virus huh. and it's infinite, you know, because it everything's vibrating at a different rate and anything my hat's made out of vibration mm -hmm. and everything in the universe is just vibrating. Yeah. So why I not? I wonder if the virus has got a certain. I mean, how would you test it? You could like you could blow up somebody's eyeballs or something if you got it wrong, though. Well, that's the trouble. <laughs> but mind you, if you inject somebody with the wrong thing, like yeah, you can Clorox, totally you kill them. Yeah. yeah. But I was just wondering, like, not a bad idea. That's a clean if way. They use sound for many other healing ways. Yeah, they have. Yeah. And many destructive ways. Mm -hmm. Um. What do you reckon on mind over matter? I know you're mates with Deepak Chopra, which he's mm. quite spiritual mm. and there's a lot of mindfulness going on what do you think about that for well, healing I, I, I used to have a guy called Matt as my minder is that what you're saying <laughs> Matt as your minder oh mind over no, matter mind over matter oh um, do you think it's um, yes of it's course it's real yeah no. absolutely can you, do you think you can healthy yourself up if you're poorly with just thinking that you're okay well it depends I mean if you have a terminal 
illness. There's certain things that, obviously, if you concentrate on being ill and, oh, I feel deathly, oh, I feel worse. Yeah. It, it can make you feel worse. If you think of positive things, it's been proven, you know, that people have actually overcome many illnesses and live a longer life and, you know. Mm. I was watching this great interview with this guy. He was about 103. Oh, wow. African-American guy. And he was just laughing and talking about his life. He was saying, well... I've had the same car for 50-odd years, mm. but I like it, you know. So, yeah. so I said, what's the point in changing it? I like driving this car. Exactly. And he's, like, patting it like it's his friend. Oh. And then he goes, you know what? I like at 5 o'clock, because we're trying to interview him about how is it that you're so active and still driving and all that at your age. Yeah. And he goes, <laughs> they thought we were going to get some really profound answer. And he goes, well, I'll tell you what, at 5 o'clock, I like going to this same delicatessen and I have two scoops of this ice cream. He says, you know why? Because I like it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know joy. I'm... He was looking after yeah, his joy glands. Oh, actually, no, he does I like it. He says, because it makes me happy. There you go. So a little bit what you like, you know, was it a little bit of something does you good? If you like to kind of have your vodka every night. At 8.42. At 8.42. It's then, up to you. Then do it, yeah, yeah. then do it. If, if it's going to make you happy, then it's going to make your life worth living, right? Yeah. I think... Um, Isn't it funny that all these conversations started with what's your favourite colour? Did they? Yeah. <laughs> yes. well, yeah. Well, that brings us back to yellow. <laughs> which... <clears throat> How random! I know. Isn't it crazy? Well, that's the end with a song. Yes. Know. I'm just mad about saffron. Saffron? And she's just wild about me. Ooh. Just mad about Saffron. Who's Saffron? She's just mad about me. Ooh. They call me Yellow. Oh, yes, Quite I love right. that song. They call me Mellow Yellow. That's right. Oh. They call me Mellow Yellow. Here we go. Woo! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Thanks, Dave. That's the end of our show. Fantastic. Let's go have a cup of happy or a cup of vodka. At 8.47, maybe 42. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to thank our sponsors, Walida. It's very important to me to work with brands that align with my personal ethics. So I've chosen a brand that leads on sustainability. They use natural and organic ingredients and everything they do is fair trade. It's nice to know that when you're scrubbing your face with gorgeousness. They've been operating sustainably for 100 years. Next year will be 100 years. They've pioneered the way for others to follow, from biodynamic farming to setting the standards for ethical, sustainable businesses. Find out more about Walida at walida.co.uk. Oh my God, how could I smush the end? Walida.co.uk. On with the show.